What movie? Polter Poltergeist. What we're talking about? Oh. <laughs> that's what that's what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Forgive me as I battle a, a virus. A virus. Yeah. It's like uh, what's his name? Uh, Kevin Klein in uh, I Love You to Death. Just get a little virus. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What for a virus? <laughs> Devo, Devo. I will say that movie yeah, then, makes me always want a pizza every time I watch, like that opening credits. That oh opening my god, yeah, Italian food of any kind. Yeah, like I just want to, just want to dig in. Definitely, like even just a bowl of pasta or something. Like it's gives me some Italian nostalgia. Italy, Italy. Oh, no, I got, I got. I just, I just got to snap into that uh, Super Mario. Super Mario. Yeah, because he's Italian. I know, but well, you're having trouble with the voice. So it's oh like, no, it's no, like no! I was talking about what to say. I mean, I was, I always had um, trouble with the voice, but I was referring to my dumb attempt at trying to make a new word by combining Italian and nostalgia into Italiaja <laughs> or something like that. Italiaja. This house is clear. This house is beer. <laughs> oh, are you drinking a beer right now? No, it's an aha. Oh. <laughs> you ruined the joke. Ruined I did. I, you ruined it. Completely ruined, ruined that joke, 100%. Uh, I, I do really, really love Poltergeist. It's honest to God, yeah. one of my all-time favorites. That's what we're, that's what Not we're even just about for... It, yeah, allegedly. Oh. Uh, <laughs> allegedly. Um, allegedly. Yep. But yeah, I, not just for the movie itself, but we've talked once or twice the curse of the poltergeist and all yeah. like, the weirdness that happened in the years following making the movie. Largely suspected that you you brought this up. I wasn't sure about this. I, I thought maybe this was a hard fact, but I just double check, dot my T's, cross my eyes. I checked into it. it. It is a matter of factual record that they did use real human remains yeah. uh, for the production design and i was like well that's a little well i've always yeah i always heard the again i never took the time to confirm it but i always heard that was the rumor that was the story that it was cheaper to just get real corpses skeletons whatever cadavers yeah than it was to make fake ones and i'm like wow well in either regard they would have had to have had the real skeletons, they would have had to have cast the rubber molds off of them. Yeah. So it was kind of like they just kind of cut the middleman out and put the real thing in there. And it was like, it was a bit of a cut corner that a lot of people attribute to being the cause of some of these freak scenarios with some of the mm-hmm. cast and crew in the years following that seemed to kind of all align to the quote unquote curse. Yeah. When was the first time, um, when do you think you were the first time you saw it? Definitely, like, like a several others, I was way too young to be watching this movie. <laughs> But I want to say I was probably like somewhere between eight and ten when I saw it the first time. Okay, I saw it a little bit later. I didn't see it till high school for yeah. the first time. I don't know why. Just never. I had always heard about it. Just never came across the TV or something for me a little bit later. One of the ones that they used to play a lot on like AMC Horror Fest, and I got I got way down the spiral come October September when they would run that. I'd like I'd run home to school every 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 day just to catch what they were showing. I would like check the TV guides and stuff. And be like, oh, what are they playing tonight? It's my favorite poltergeist or not to be confused rather with the chicken run sequel (laughs) poultry geist what what an american classic that is that is yes not to be confused with the chicken run sequel or epilogue poultry geist well there is there's the yeah there's the the chicken run bit but there's also an actual horror film called poultry geist there is yeah 
And let me double check. See, that's like one of those things. Anytime you come up with something, you have to assume, just by the law of averages, that at least 100 other people have the same idea. Yeah, for sure. It was kind of in the vein. Do you remember? I don't know if I ever talked to you about this. Do you remember Thanks Killing? Thanks Killing. That sounds familiar, but I don't think, no. I don't think I've ever heard it. It's a weird one. Um, it's It's like the demon of like an Indian burial ground overtakes... Oh the body of a of a Thanksgiving Day turkey <laughs> and starts terrorizing this American family out of vengeance. It's it's meant to be a total farce, not like a legit horror movie, but it's just it's ridiculous. And then to make and it was so ridiculous that they made that sounds amazing. They made a sequel to it called Thanks Killing Three. They didn't do a Thanks Killing Two. They went straight to three and involved puppets. It was it was just totally absurd. Thanks Killing Three, Revenge of the Leftovers. Yes. Thanks, killing two, too much tryptophan. Thanks, killing four, cranberries and yams. Thanks, killing five, pumpkin pie. Thanks, killing six. That's it. That's all I got for now. Oh my gosh. So anyway, night at oh yeah the the horror film Poultrygeist is Poultrygeist colon Night of the Chicken Dead. Night of the Chicken Dead. Oh my god, again. Like, and it's the poster is a human skull with a chicken head bursting out of the top of it. <laughs> They're getting into a different one there. Yeah, a cl- utter, utter and complete classic made in 2006. Ridiculous. For Poltergeist, 1982 yeah. was commonly, common misconception about Poltergeist is it was not, in fact, directed by Steven Spielberg. I, I myself used to make that mistake a lot. When I first caught on to it, I always, because well, he produced it, yeah. and his name is all over the front. And his name is attached to it, it, so it's understandable, yeah. Yeah, he was originally scheduled to direct it, um, and actually, interestingly enough, it wasn't a ghost story in its original drafts and versions. It was originally written to be a sequel to Close Encounters. See, that, that's strange. I never, I never knew that. That it was going to be, yeah. I never even knew they were, it, wanted to do a sequel for a Close Encounters. Yeah, it was. It went through a long writing process where it's one of those ones where it just kind of kept evolving and changing. Because not unlike Blade Runner, how Blade Runner was originally meant to be just a total adaptation of the Phil K. Dick novel, where yeah. it fully evolved into something else. Mm-hmm. Toby Hooper was roped in to direct. Part of why it stayed in such a long writing process was because Spielberg was originally attached to direct it. He got involved with E.T. and because of his contractual obligations, making sure E.T. was tied up and ready to go, his schedule just kept pushing and pushing and pushing it. To get it going, Toby Hooper stepped in to pull a lot of things together in the pre-production process. So it ultimately became Toby Hooper's movie. Toby Hooper, who before this worked on uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we just, we had discussed how texas chainsaw is kind of like argued as the original slasher yeah. movies so i mean T- toby hooper is no stranger to the horror genre so he wasn't like coming into um, this and that's that's always an interesting thing he wasn't coming into this having not done any having not worked in the horror genre before like yeah. would you say that not writing because I've, I've actually never tried to write anything that would bo- even get close to borderline horror and would it be tough to just start to do that out of nowhere? I would imagine, yeah. I mean, I would think so. I mean, especially too, because there's certain like levels of horror too, and like because there's moments. I, I would say Poltergeist for me definitely has, and there are some parts that you could argue maybe it has an age as well as other things, but not. I think for the most part, it still holds up. Yeah. Well, yeah, like the the original draft having been coming out of this other version of it where it was originally a, an alien story and crossing into the idea was that they would still kind of be like that borders of another reality. Yeah. 
and it kind of strikes there's me definitely that, 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 that strange that eeriness to it yeah clearly it evolved quite heavily out of that but uh, i mean there are other origins to this as well it was also in its ghost story form is it's largely attributed to being a remake of a specific episode of the twilight zone and that also comes into the curse in another interesting way i'll bring up Ooh, here okay. in a bit but uh, the Twilight Zone episode Little Girl Lost, season three, episode 26, is very – I in a lot of my research, I've pulled this up in the past. It's, it's attributed to being a remake of that. And Spielberg has his connections to Twilight Zone, obviously. So that, there, that does get, garner some weight. I think, too, like when you're, when you're writing something, you're going to get ideas from everywhere. And it's yeah. a matter of like which ones you're going to use, which ones – you're going to say for something else, which ones are going to be the main focus, which are just going to be a bit of like a smattering around the main story. You can always like start something out and then end up with something completely different. Yeah, completely different. But it's not a stretch to now that, especially from like, you know, when I'm thinking of like the lighting, like there's a lot of sequences in Close Encounters that have definitely a fear element going on oh for in, sure in just even the unknown yeah they, they play a lot on and, and a lot, i think then in a lot of spielberg movies in general tend to deal in not knowing what's around that next corner and the anxiety and anticipation of that no i would agree yeah there's definitely some lifeblood connective tissue between this and et a lot of the time i consider poltergeist atmospherically a kind of a kindred spirit of et in a lot of ways they're both centered around suburbia and have children characters as a part of a larger family as their center centerpiece to what's going on and but Poltergeist is kind of the darker side of that, whereas E.T. is heartwarming and, you know, that has a has a very special central message to it. Poltergeist is much darker and much more sinister. Did they, did they come out the same to year, too? 82? Were they both 82? E.T. did come out the same year as Poltergeist, mm-hmm. which is interesting considering that they Poltergeist was on a delay as a result of E.T., so that, that, that I always find those timeline unfolding to be to be interesting mm-hmm. i do kind of consider poltergeist to kind of be the dark sister project tt in some some ways some atmospheric ways some and how it was written and uh, i mean a lot of the elements to poltergeist are very interesting i mean it has connective tissue to a lot of other big well-known projects i mean we've talked in the past how the vfx crew has some connectivity between ghostbusters and yeah also, I've not mentioned before, they there is some connection to Star Wars, which is interesting because, like, there was some heavy product placement for Star Wars, oh, yeah. this, which I've always found fun and interesting. <laughs> well, this was definitely the beginning of product placement, too, I think. Like, this, I think this was when it... Yeah, around this time, like, the yeah. 80s were big for that. Yeah. I think the studios were starting to get wise to the fact that they, they had ways and methods they can make some some dough. Some of that do-re-me. Do-re-me. I knew you were going to do it. You know me too well. But yeah, I mean, uh, we've also talked in the past too. I mean, uh, Michael Kahn edited this. I mean, he did, he worked pretty extensively a very, with uh, uh, Spielberg. A very a great editor. Sometimes, I don't know, I, underappreciated, I think. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, look at the, the body of work that he has under his resume. I mean, he's just, he's he's got an intuition about how long to hold, yeah. when to show, when to cut away he, i mean obviously a lot of that is baked into what's written and how it's put in front of the camera yeah. but there's still there's still a lot that can be added in that process that mm-hmm. i don't think people take note of well he definitely if i remember correctly he cuts more on on feeling like he's got the scene 
And it's got, like you said, it's got to feel right when that's happening. And yeah. it, it almost like, it's dis- like, it almost disappears because it feels more natural when the store, when you're watching it. I think that's partly why it's sometimes like Poltergeist specifically sometimes can feel like a Spielberg movie because I yeah. mean, it has that, that snappy edit to it. And I think that's, that's just, that's a credit to Michael Kahn and how he doesn't get quite as much notoriety as he probably should. I mean, you're talking about the guy who did all the Indiana Jones films and what am I thinking? There's one specifically at Jurassic Park mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, the, those are very snappily cut movies, very sharp in how, in how they, they snap together. So, and this is definitely too, I would say horror. Well, any, any film genre really, but I, I would say this one, I think sits pretty firmly in that paranormal subgenre we discussed in the retrospective. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not so much psychological as it is. I mean, the, the psychological as an element in any human story, but I think that this one, as far as the subgenres of horror, sits pretty firm. Like it's one of the ones that's pretty firmly a, a ghost story. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. You've mentioned it too, comparing it to with the kin to ET. It's that dark darkness intruding suburbia. It's that it's, I, I'm pretty sure the plan that they, the housing plan that they live in is built, it's brand new, right? Oh yeah. Like it's just well, built within for, like a certain number of years. Yeah. So it's like they're, they're rolling this out in like certain phases. So yeah. it's like you, you get a lot of that information from Craig T. Nelson's character discussing with the new tenants, as mm-hmm. well as him discussing with the owner of that housing development yeah they they kind of talk about how it's coming out and they're starting phase five and pretty soon you yeah. won't be able to distinguish phase five from blah, blah, blah. yeah so there's definitely that that element of intruding upon be it something paranormal even just nature too of how they're developing the plans of course spoilers here if you've never seen the movie yeah i think that that should go for this whole episode yeah, specifically the big, for the big reveal of course like you have the family haunted by these ghosts and of course mm-hmm. the the main, well, one of the main characters, the little girl, is essentially their first, I don't want to say target, but essentially the one that meets them for the first time, or the one that they're going after, and she ends up getting caught in their dimension. And while they're trying to get her to get her back, really like this, this battle ensues between the family trying to get her back and, and the ghosts wanting her, her essence, her, yeah. her life, because she has what it's the ghosts pretty, want. It's pretty apparent from the get-go that, that opening scene with the Star Spangled Banner, which interestingly enough is kind of like a time capsule moment for the 80s, where I have like such a brief memory of this being the case for cable television back in the day. It was not around long for when I was a kid, but you know, you didn't have the 24 hour cycle of TV. Like after I think it was nine or 10 o'clock, everything just went static through, through the rest of the night until the morning news. It was all just, it was, it was done. Yeah. Nothing. You had that white noise going on. Yeah. So it really played into that lived in that area in a very interesting way. Well, and I think uh, like they use they use that well to kind of introduce that Carol Ann is intuitive to this other plane and has a, has an attachment to it and there that's how they're able to spot her so early on why she's such a target for Yeah. Them. Well, I think it's too it's definitely one of those movies that even if you're not necessarily frightened by it and I, I would say I mean it has a few jump scares. I mean it definitely does, but I feel like it relies more on thinking about Who like you calling it, moron. <laughs> It relies, it relies heavily on what asking the questions or like sort of alluding and forcing you to ask the questions yourself. Like, you know, what happens after you die? Is there another plane? It def- it's definitely one of those stories where the themes of it, I think, are the most chilling parts to it. 
Absolutely. And like we've talked before, it's it's that atmosphere of horror tends to be its yeah. most forefront aspect. And I think that this movie has atmosphere in spades, which mm-hmm. is shocking for a movie that has a crew behind it that is so hyper-technically oriented. Yeah. Ones w- the ones who are so technically precise manage to make a movie that is so atmospheric. Yeah, and this is long before CGI and computers, or at least what we yeah. consider it today. A lot of the same people who created Back to the Future and Jurassic Park movies that visually are so like technically sharp. Mm-hmm. But it's like, this one kind of sits in a slightly different category because it's dealing with, I, I that's why I think, you know, Indiana Jones gets a lot of its successes because it has some similar visual themes and things going on, especially in Raiders, just attaching to the other plane and yeah. you know seeing behind the veil as it were and not being so hyper into the real world, so to speak. Yeah, and I was, I was not shocked, but I had forgotten that Jerry Goldsmith did the score for this. Yeah, Jerry Goldsmith is probably the greatest of all time that is that is a very very loose thing to say because there are so many <laughs> greats careful. out there careful what you're saying i consistently go back to jerry goldsmith though i i i love the score for the mummy i love this yeah. score very much especially his work through star trek mm-hmm. i mean that that original score for the star trek motion picture especially some yeah. of the themes in there and just some of the instruments that he used he was very experimental he used instruments and things that were just so unorthodox and out of the, out of the norm. They're, they're he was willing to try anything. And I mean this in a good way, if I, and no pun intended, but if I had to describe Jerry Goldsmith's scores in one word, I would use the word haunting. And, oh my gosh yeah you know there's just that and it doesn't always have to be in a terrifying way it can just be even like a sense of longing but there is that and haunt literally the word just means when you go you frequent a place like an old haunt it, yeah. it only became a little bit later it meant to be like haunted by ghosts because where are they going to go they frequent that place hence why something yeah. haunted but for me that quality of it i mean it in a as a compliment to his work when I say that they're haunting in the sense that I, I tend to find myself going back to those scores a lot and they stick with me. They, I frequently. Weirdly enough, I, I did a rewatch for this and what I noticed about the score specifically was that this is, in my opinion, one of Goldsmith's most, at times, obviously one of his most innocent scores there's the capturing of that suburbia and the, mm-hmm. the air of just like the whimsical, whimsical curiosity of the children. Yeah. At times it, I, I even look at like toy soldiers and stuff that he had done in the past. It's like where like kids are like the entire, the entirety of that movie. It's like the military overtones and that don't ever really let the, the childlike curiosity come fully into the forefront. Yeah. And like, it's interesting to me that poltergeist, one of the most threatening movies of all time <laughs> has some of the most innocent, interesting. Oh, and the sound, like, I mean, just to have that too. And I can't think of recently horror movies that have used score to their advantage as much as some of the older ones have. Yeah. Especially like, I think Jerry Goldsmith, if you track his career, it's interesting how he has lent a lot of credibility to some movies that he's worked on. I think, I think he has helped a lot of movies stand out in ways that other collaborators kind of haven't. I think if you look through like his catalog, it's, it's interesting. Like, especially like this and the mummy Mm -hmm. movies like that. I mean, obviously poltergeist has like a ton of weight behind it creatively, but I mean, the mummy, you're looking at a fairly new director. A lot of that cast was not on, was not proven up until that point. And that score for the mummy just gives it so much creative weight. Yeah. I think that coupled with the locations and the visuals they were able to pull off with the mummy. I mean, just sell that movie a thousand percent. It's why it, I think it's endured 30 years. Isn't it? For poltergeist comic 
about 25 years. And I was speaking specifically of the oh, mummy. Oh, the mummy, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the mummy is coming up on about 25-ish years at this point. Mm-hmm. And that movie's stood some time here. <laughs> just in time. To kick it around. Just First name Justin, last name time. Yeah. So let's... So let's talk about the the big the big the big elephant in the room the big ghost in the closet the big yeah no that 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 works yeah that's, no, I like it it's topical um, for the movie yeah I think so let's talk about just just the curse yeah as it were the the curse of poltergeist yeah so this is a lengthy topic I I wanted to be sure I got a lot of this correct yeah, because there you, is a lot of speculation on away. this and a lot of things so all of these I want to forefront this are to be taken with a grain of salt okay. I mean. But it is the wealth of, like, the amount of these types of occurrences and things that give them weight. Yeah. It's like, yes, yeah, some some of these may be bogus and made up, but I think given the amount of things that have gone wrong in the years since this, this movie was produced and released, I think it's pretty undeniable that it's cursed. <laughs> I think, I think. And we already talked about so the, the, sort of one of them with the real skeletons in the... Final sequence. Yeah, so this is w- people who firmly believe this and push this this whole theory forward attribute it to the fact that the production used real skeletons in the production in way like they dressed them up, drowned them, and did all kinds of unspeakable things to yeah. these these human remains for the production of the movie. It's largely attributed as desecrating. Yeah. Uh, the remains of the dead and the anger that their souls are bringing upon the cast is what's causing which all is, of this. Which is strange because that's what exactly what they do in the movie. What I was alluding to. It's kind of like Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park with the production mistakes. It's like it leans into the themes yeah. of the movie, which is so interesting. The first example and one of the ones that's the most interesting by far is the case of Dominique Dunn. She played the eldest sister of the family, which has her her famous. One of her famous scenes in the movie is now certainly meme heavy. Oh, yeah. What's happening? <laughs> and then she has the hickey on her neck and she's standing in the middle of the street while everything's exploding. Oh, yeah. That end sequence of the movie is fascinating. Yeah. It's it's the implosion of the house. The practical effects for how they did that are incredible. Still one of the still one of the coolest things that's ever been mm-hmm. put on film by far. But yeah, in the case of Dominique Dunn, as as it relates to the quote unquote curse of the poltergeist, I mean, she I don't believe I, th- I think it was after the movie was released. It was around it was around it was the same year as the release. She had previously moved in with her boyfriend, who was by accounts of people who knew him and her very standoffish, very odd, very weird. He ended up getting very angry with her during an argument that the two of them had had, and in the heat of that situation he strangled her to death and killed her that that is just like i mean that alone it's like what the yeah. hell and she she was the daughter of some pretty notable people within the industry i mean she was she was definitely going to have a career ahead of her and given especially given that they made poltergeist into a franchise she would have been kicking around that at the very mm-hmm. least but uh, yeah it was a very strange occurrence that 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 happened right around the time right around during the year that this movie was released she didn't even really get time to bask in the success of it <clears throat> Did did they meet? Had she already been dating this boyfriend prior to filming Poltergeist? They had been dating since '81, so I'm not exactly sure of the production schedule in relation close. to that. It was a it would have been in proximity of the time of that, but it was stated that she would she had moved in in about 1981, and that she was killed in '82. So it wasn't a very long period of time. So that's that's just the first of these. There's several. If we move on to the case of Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann, yeah. 
there was a long audition process to find who they were going to cast as Carol Ann for the movie. And they had been looking pretty extensively at Heather O'Rourke's older sister. She was strongly considered for the role. The other, I think there, there were several in contention at the time. Drew Barrymore was one of them. Oh, really? Drew Barrymore was? I didn't. She was being strongly considered for the role. She ends up Um, getting the T role then, I'm assuming. Yeah. So it it was, yeah, it was kind of curious. It was like, definitely like she something was seen in her during those auditions yeah. but um it was actually spielberg that found heather o'rourke after her sister's audition i guess they were e- eating lunch or something in proximity of the audition process and spielberg was walking around found her just kind of did like a light in passing discussion with her talk to her and after a short discussion he realized that she was their carol ann and put her in the movie which was interesting that he he was the one specifically a founder, but it, she managed to carry a lot of the franchise going forward into the next sequels for Poltergeist. But it was in 1988, some years after that first movie, that she died suddenly. I, don't, I think she was 12 when she died. Wait, she really? In, she did. Yeah, she was super super young. It was tragic. Wow. It, was, it was utterly shocking for everyone. It's it's showed up in a lot of medical television that I've seen it in. A lot of like autopsy cases and stuff bring it up, but. She it was a very bizarre medical case. Uh, she actually had a bowel obstruction that led to two cardiac failures, and it was the the heart con- heart condition that actually got her. Jeez. But yeah, it was a it was a utterly tragic and just utterly bizarre scenario that that happened. Did they ever like come like I guess they got the obstruction and all that, but did they ever come up to like why that obstruction happened in the first place? I believe it's been stated, but I mean th- those things do happen, but it's it's not common, especially in children yeah. that it leads to that drastic of a failure. So it was utterly heartbreaking for the family and cast of the movies, but uh, yeah, it was rough. I mean there were tons of other things. I mean Oliver Rubens who played her slightly older brother Robbie during the production of the first movie, a scene where the clown doll attacks Rob, yeah. they shot some reverse photography for that like when the arms wrap around his neck and are trying to kill him. <coughs> Weirdly enough, that stunt, one of, the, one of the takes that they were running it actually went haywire and the crew did not notice this occurring. And as the story goes, I mean, it's noted that Spielberg caught that this was happening before anybody else rushed in, ruined the take, and got Robbie out of there. And it's largely suspected that had he not been there and noticed, Rob, the actor Oliver Rubens would not have fared so well coming out of that. So, and then there's there's other other types of things. There was a report of I think it was in the second or third movie. There was a pyrotechnic effect that was coming through and lit a fireball that allegedly, according to some of the crew, the fireball itself chased people around the set in an erratic manner. Now, see, like some of these, I don't know how much credence I give, but I mean, it is interesting the volume of these that have come out. Well, you think too, people like once you get, once the idea of a curse is created, then people start to feed into it. It tends to be somewhat self-fulfilling. I mean, also Zelda Rubenstein stated that during the, I think it was a production of the second or, I think it was the third one because she's, she's the main star of the third movie. She claimed that when her photograph was taken, she was blinded and saw streaks of light and claimed to be following, followed by a presence made of light. All these, all these, all these types of things surrounding that. But what was really interesting was that during the taking of this photograph, it's alleged to be within the time frame that her mother passed away. 
Huh. So okay. I found that quite interesting. That's and then not like, creepy the, at all. Yeah, I know, right? It's it's just odd. And uh, the the last really big one that I I consider to be notable of this was I I haven't found many people that attribute this to this, but I I connect these dots personally. Okay. Um, the tw- right. the tragedy of the Twilight Zone movie. And, and have you looked into this? No, now? this 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 one. Yeah, no, I have no clue. So during the production of the Twilight Zone movie, which Spielberg was involved with, one of the members of the cast was actually killed and they actually had to shut down production for quite a while. It was a scene, it was a water-based tank scene where a helicopter had crashed and they had this whole setup and it malfunctioned. The helicopter blade snapped and removed. It flew into the set and ended up dicing the actor. What? Yeah. And the really one of the only main connective pieces of tissue there is Spielberg. But at the same time, it was, it was kind you kind of, and also like what I, what I attribute to be partly connective tissue was the fact that this was based off of a, a lot of people attribute it to being based off of or adapted from that episode of the twilight zone that we had previously mentioned. Yeah. Episode 26 of season three, yeah. the little girl lost. It's, it's an interesting episode worth watching if uh, you get the chance. I mean, that whole show is great. Yeah, just very, it, it raises questions. It tends to have a head scratchy. Hmm, I know. And like, you don't, related. it's one of those things like the more, the more you like start to get into it, the more it, you, you start to convince yourself it is real. Yeah. And it, like, like we said, I mean, it could be very much well be a self-fulfilling, whatever you di- the more you dig into it, the more you affirm it to yourself. But grain of salt, take that for what you will. Well, and I, I part of part of why I wanted to do this this episode on this is that we had talked previously about the restoration for Jaws. Yeah, this I, a lot of the same people who worked on that Jaws restoration. This was their their most recent work. They did a full deep dive process on restoring this just this last year and uh, put out a very very interesting and well done 4K remaster of this that I think maybe the cleanest and most efficient remaster of of a film so far back that i can think of okay i mean it's the that 4k print is clear how do they like when they do that process is it they gotta i'm assuming they have to take the actual film first no yeah i mean there's a lot of different ways that this is done but i think that the team that worked on this and especially that worked on jaws have have it down pat they have that process for movies of that time period the best way to do it because they do a what i've heard as described as a cross analog digital process basically what that means is they're scanning in the negatives to make a digital master of those and they're using different prints because the prints age differently over time and have different irregularities at different points in the movie so using different film prints as well as that digital process they basically go They'll, for lack of a better term, Photoshop each individual frame. Yeah. Taking pieces from the frames before, frames after, such you know, things like that. Or they, they'll go into the original visual effects plates as much as they are able to do, and they can adjust things from there as well. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting process. I highly encourage looking into it if you're if you're all interested, because it's it's I think it's one of the coolest thing coolest jobs out there for film. Yeah. Well, speaking of like processes and techniques. I, I did not know, and you brought this to my attention, that the effects on this, the visual effects, yeah. were used then. Or not used, but I should say done by the same team, which eventually go on to do Ghostbusters. Yeah, Richard Edlund, if memory serves. Yeah, his his uh, a lot of the people who worked with him, this obviously given Spielberg's connections with ILM, yeah. Raiders and 
the indie indie movies and his friendship with uh, George Lucas. He had a lot of connections there. He was able to bring in that tied uh, Poltergeist to this, but it was. I find the the production schedule of Ghostbusters to be just one of the craziest things that's ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, uh, just under under anticipated what he was going to need, <laughs> and was his own worst enemy in that way, unfortunately. But he still managed to achieve one of the, one of the best movies ever in Ghostbusters. So his efforts were, were not in vain for sure. But uh, yeah, Richard Edlund and a lot of his uh, his colleagues basically crossed the street from Poltergeist onto Ghostbusters, and I think that's one of the things that gives Ghostbusters its credibility <laughs> as a horror comedy, is it has some of the best visuals from Poltergeist, well, not to say that they actually took information from there, but I mean like the same methods, a lot of the same ideology on how to produce those images. Yeah they took into into Ghostbusters and it has a lot of the same credence. So I think that's why Ghostbusters one of the main reasons Ghostbusters is as good as it is is because it looks as good as one of the best ghost stories ever told. Well yeah, and there is something about those effects in Ghostbusters in Poltergeist, like I was saying. I think the only one that for me doesn't hold up is the famous I don't know if it's famous, but the scene where the one of the university professors or their their intern is like staying up late mm-hmm. and they're trying to like catch anything, get get data, and he goes to the bathroom, yeah. and just wash his face, and he starts and pecking, pecking his face. Yeah, I love that like, scene. Is so, you could tell so that, that hokey. <laughs> you can tell that that is. I mean, the the concept of that is horrifying. You can tell that is a dummy though. Now that I'm scene has definitely it. given me nightmares. But yeah, no, it still gives me nightmare nightmares as well. Apart from that effect, everything else, like I still think, holds up. Like the, yeah, the the shot bef- at the end when the mother is running down the hallway, that long the hallway, all of a sudden. Uh, that one of my favorite photographic effects in the movie. That uh, that push pull. Yeah, Ooh, so good. Basically, like what a push pull is, just so it's it's stated, is where you dolly the camera in, zoom out. Mm-hmm and rack focus all simultaneously to shrink and crush the focal plane so that your depth of field just massively increases through the course of the shot, and it creates this effect. It's a very difficult effect to pull off analog by hand. I've, I, anybody who's tried it will tell you it's not it's not an easy task. <laughs> it takes a lot of practice and no knowledge of what lens you're shooting on in yeah. order to achieve that. But if you can nail it, it it can produce. I mean, Jaws is the most famous example of it. The, the snap zoom on uh, Brody's character on the beach. I mean, it's just that's that's the most notable example. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that that I think used to a very great anxiety inducing effect in that hallway. Yeah. And then she like is that supposed to be what what is she running into? I mean, it's frightening that that ghost that's blocking the the doorway. I, c- I commonly hear that referred to as the lion ghost okay. or like the gatekeeper. A lot of people will call it, but I believe that the sound effect for that is the MGM lion. It is. Oh, with the okay because it, this is an MGM produced film. I believe that they use that sound. No, because like how how did they actually? So yeah, the process for which they made that is pretty cool. There's, I, don't, I haven't been able to find any images on the setup for this, but they created a vacuum funnel and suspended the puppet for the the lion gatekeeper in inside the vacuum, and it created. I mean, they used this effect for a couple of different things in Poltergeist, but that's the most notable one I've, I've heard of. And it's what they did with that was they were able to capture particle effects in the different planes of the photography. So it like added all this crazy atmosphere to it. And 
I think that that's partly why that some of the stuff in there looks as crazy good as it does. I mean, obviously it was credit to the lighting effects teams and everything, the methods by which those were composited together yeah. into the final final footage. But I mean, it it's those those little touches and those little careful attentions to detail that can really make something stand the test of time. No, absolutely. I mean, it. I have to say there is something about actually having something in front of the camera or something oh, real. Oh, absolutely. It takes a lot and it's it's not easy work and that's partly why not to say CGI is better or worse in yeah. any category. I think it's it's the right tool for the right job. I think not having computer graphics effects forcing people to do things in camera and find inventive ways, having having those rails to be forced on. Forced creativity in some ways that aren't forced today. No, agree. That's not yeah. to say computer graphics are inherently bad. That's not to say things are done worse nowadays. It's merely to say I think that people were forced to find impossible solutions to impossible problems back in the day, whereas it's more accessible to do so now. Well, and it 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 kind of ties back into that theme of the movie respecting the dead, uh, but yeah, the respect for nature in that at the climax of the movie, the father hit the realtor boss comes in. And that's when, that's when it's discovered that, and it's hinted at earlier in the movie that they were building on top of a graveyard the whole time, these new housing developments. And yeah. rather than actually zoom and find another resting place for the bodies, they just took out the headstones. And he has that like great, I do remember that like, you, you son of a bitch. You left you the bodies. The bodies you, didn't you? you? You left the bodies, but you only took out the headstones. And like, he says it in such a great, like you could really sense his anger and like in that scene. Yeah. He's like, why, why? I'm giving it a very poor uh, reenactment here. In contrast to that scene, I love the initial scene where the housing development head comes over and speaks with Craig T. Nelson's character. Mm -hmm. And just all these like goofy, weird things are happening in the house. And he's like, uh, Craig T. Nelson's ushering him through the house. Like, and he's just not noticing all these, all these crazy things that are happening around. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, they used they used that Spielberg comedy quite well here mm-hmm. and there. That's not to take anything away from Toby Hooper, but it was there were some noticeable Spielberg touches in there. And there is that there's that little nugget at the very end too when they go to stay in a hotel. They get in, they shut the door, and then the father comes back out and pushes the TV back out. I think that's such a good button. Yeah rejecting all this stuff that has made everything go wrong. Well, yeah, so too, like, uh, again, not necessarily a rejection of modernity, but also being cautious of technology, cautious of yeah. doing well, like, certain uh, things without asking, okay, why are we doing this? Should we well, it's, do this? It's interesting because I think that static, like television static from tube TVs that were of back in the day, yeah. I think it is fascinating. I think both this and The Ring tapped into that very well because static from TV, what what that actually is can't be described. Mm-hmm. It is literally just a capturing of the quote unquote ether and all this, all like it's, it's, un, it's just unscrambled general noise from the atmosphere. No, yeah. And we don't know exactly what it is. So I, I've always found that interesting. And I think it does tie well into the themes of ghost stories. And it's, it is interesting that we've kind of scrubbed that out of our culture. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's definitely, an, it's, it's definitely one to watch. It's, it's an interesting ghost story too. How did they ever, did they ever find out like, how did they settle on the term? I guess we're just because poltergeist in and of itself, like poltergeist activity. It yeah, fits it was meant the definition, to be like, but did they, was there any other titles floated around before they settled on poltergeist? Because I'm thinking not that I'm early 80s, of. I don't feel like that would have been a, 
a term certainly not then as iconic and as used as much now as today thank thanks to this franchise so i am curious yeah, how I they i don't believe that there was a title in play for when this was close encounters sequel mm-hmm. but i as far as i know uh, the only release title was poltergeist and i mean it was meant to differentiate this from other haunting type stories of the time yeah it, it did it did its job in differentiating the movie and setting it apart but i do think the ultimate message of poltergeist and its ultimate legacy from as we've we discussed that they did they did use real human remains mm-hmm. and did did actually perform one one of the cardinal that the movie is damning damning is i think that the ultimate message is to respect the dead and have have a reverence for being at rest and being at peace yeah some sense of keeping some things you know sacred yeah and i i I think the message of the film stands even more firmly in the the cultural zeitgeist as a result of the curse that has lived on the movie and Mm -hmm definitely if you believe such things definitely shake shaken the lives of many in the wake of yeah that franchise's existence i mean it gets used a lot too like it has certainly entered our pop culture whether people i I think that is too maybe the i want to say a bit of the sad part behind it is a lot of movies that you and i grew up watching i feel like people know them more they're popular now more for elements than rather the, the full story i don't know i could be wrong on that well yeah too i mean i was looking up and in, in researching this i found a list of times this has been referenced and i was utterly not shocked but i was just like wow this is a long list yeah i think south park alone had like 20 or so episodes that referenced <laughs> this movie i was like that's a lot and there was obviously Family Guy and like yeah. all the Seth MacFarlane comedies had their touch on it. The Simpsons and those those nighttime family comedies. But no, well, no, too. And I'm trying to think. Like I don't think prior to this. Well, no, you had Exorcist. So I, I, Exorcist, yeah, yeah. So like I'm pretty like this. This is definitely. I don't know if you want to like. This is when I would say from the 70s and into the 80s when the horror genre came of age a little bit more. In, in at least in the film industry, if that if I if I can say that, I think the I think the eighties really woke horror up in a lot of ways. Especially we've discussed the slasher film like exploded yeah. in the eighties. It became like the teenage popcorn film uh-huh. style in the eighties for sure. But I mean, there were obviously a lot of big ones like this being one of the biggest ones that came out of this. This was definitely the most profitable horror film that came out in eighty two. All right, so it did beat this beat out in spades financially the thing i mean the thing was a great as a perfect well utterly perfect horror film but it was destroyed by this financially the thing i think that's having spielberg attached to it yeah spielberg was a name for sure he garnered a lot of weight but i mean blade runner and the thing released the same day and both flopped hard wow i didn't realize (laughs) they released the same day yeah i think that that's i think that's one of the coolest things about the two of those is like it was june 25th 1982 both that and the thing were released both flopped hard and they're two of two of the two of the most longstanding yeah. huh, wow. films like ever. So that just goes to show you don't ever just could if a movie doesn't rake in a ton of money, it doesn't necessarily make it a bad movie. And vice versa. Yeah, vice versa indeed. I mean you you've discussed that one a couple of times here. And I mean the box office can be very fickle, yeah. especially in recent years, but I mean it is not a formula to be figured out. Mm-hmm. It is just the world does what the world is gonna do and you can't predict it. Yep. <laughs> 
Oh, excuse me. God bless. <laughs> the hair gone. Yeah, I, 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 I was trying to figure out. There's a movie that's playing in Poltergeist, and I cannot find what it is. I, have, I did some pretty deep dives, and I could not find what it yeah, was. Yeah, I have no idea. My original thought was that it was Little Girl Lost, but I don't believe that it is. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, that's what I, I, my initial thought was like, oh, okay, they they brought this, but it's I don't think that that's what the, what it is. It's some other kind of ghost story. It's where a it looked like a military pilot was killed and he wakes up in the afterlife. But I could not place or find it. I did a I did some hefty research. I really did dig and try and find it, but yeah. I could not. That sounds like a Twilight episode too. It does, yeah, like it. It very much looked like episode. I was like, maybe it's another one that I'm not thinking of or can't remember, but uh, I'm not sure. And it, there's so much great, like there's other great references to this. I mean, Breaking Bad actually one episode they do reference this, and it's the. Uh, do you remember the beginning of Poltergeist where this the RC cars are racing? Yeah, there's. I want to say season. four five episode of breaking bad where they have race cars in the street in front of dean norris's house okay uncle hank but uh i know i remember when breaking bad aired and i noticed that i was like wait a minute i've seen this (laughs) (laughs) i have seen this been here before i have have a memory of this. yeah it's it's one of those ones that has has truly stood the test of time i think uh it'll be around for years to come especially given the nature of the curse and everything. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very peculiar case. And I, I think all like the very substantial creative weight behind it, there's a lot to be learned from this movie, a lot to be studied and taken in. I mean, it's it's one for the ages. Yeah. It's, it, I think it's one of the best that the 80s has to offer personally. And I know it's uh, that tree still haunts my nightmares. Yeah, and def- definitely worth checking out with the spooky season coming up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, we got uh, we're c- continuing to ride our our 2-month spooky season wave here, so I'm excited about it. Uh-